Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Shmuley Goldberg, uh, the VP of Marketing at Law Geeks. And the website is lawgeex.com. So Shmuley, thanks for coming. I appreciate you being here. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So tell me about uh, Law Geeks. What was the premise of the company when it was first started? And you know, where is it at today? What's the goal of it, the company? So the original premise of the company, and I've been there for about two and a half years. So I've been there very... I joined pretty early after its inception, um, was that the way lawyers review contracts today is fundamentally archaic. Um, we have great lawyers, we have well-trained professionals who essentially do no more than uh, spell check and copy and pasting. Now, a lot of what we've done over the last two years has been based on the fact that our CEO actually was a corporate commercial lawyer for quite a while. And he was very aware while he was reading and reviewing the same contract hundreds of times a week that everything that he was doing can and realistically should have been automated by a machine. So that was the premise that we started with. And as I mentioned, over the last few years, we've actually built um, an artificial intelligence solution, which is able to read and understand basic, basic contracts. And I'm talking NDAs, service agreements, really the, the contracts which are Lawyers see hundreds of times a month and essentially are never really significant in terms of risk or value. And what we're able to do is understand the contents within that contract and essentially say whether or not it can be signed by comparing it to the company's own legal policies. So when you start using us, you define your legal policies. You'll say, these are the things that I'll never accept when I review a contract. These are the things which are really fine and I don't mind them being there. And once you've set that up, we're able to read basic contracts, we're able to compare those contracts to your legal policies, and basically say to whoever uploaded the contract whether or not it can be signed, or if changes need to be made, what those changes are. And our goal is to take the basic grunt work off the shoulders of the lawyers. So we're not dealing with big strategic contracts. Our goal is to give the experienced lawyers the time to focus their efforts and experience where it matters most and get the grunt work, as I said, off their plate. Yeah, I guess that um, most NDAs or most, you know, rental agreements are boilerplate. You'll see the same clauses over and over and over, especially if you've surveyed, let's say, you know, thousands of NDAs out there to get your data set. So I would think that you'd be able to pick off really quickly the boilerplate clauses and then just point out only the ones that are different in a particular NDA that someone's considering. And that would speed things up alone, right? Exactly. And we haven't just surveyed thousands, we've surveyed hundreds of thousands. So we've oh, wow. actually tested our AI. We offered it to several universities earlier this year to test against human lawyers. And we found for the very first time that our AI is actually more accurate at spotting these clauses within a contract than a human lawyer is. And humans hit, you know, 85% accuracy, which is which is excellent, more than enough to pass the yeah. bar exam. However, because the, as you mentioned, because so many of these are boilerplate and so many of the anomalies they're looking for are often necessary, are 
are often hard to find. And especially difficult, by the way, is finding what isn't there. So you can see a contract and say, this maybe shouldn't be there. Mm. But to read a contract and say, okay, here are the six things that are missing is more challenging. That's right. The other circumstance I can see that if, if someone was trying to be deceptive and they made a paragraph look mostly boilerplate, but made a slight change of language that changed its intent. You know, I've, I've figured that probably be rare, but uh, that could happen as well. Perhaps your system could spot that. It can, but it's worth noting we've, we've hardly ever seen that. I think, as I said, after scanning hundreds of thousands of contracts, we've seen you know intentional malice, so to speak, in less than a dozen contracts. So the vast That's majority good. of the That's time, great. the vast majority of the time, somebody downloads you know a a contract from Google or they take it from the, their repository, and it's the same one that they've used a hundred times before. They change the elements and they send it off. So all you need is a system that compares that, scans through it, and say, yep, 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 all this is good, green light, and go. And we're cutting down the bottleneck that businesses face. You know, there are some businesses that can wait 10 days, two weeks to get a basic contract in place. And there are some contracts which can take even longer. And we cut that down to under an hour. So if you can imagine sending somebody a contract, and within the hour, them reviewing it, revising it if necessary, signing it, and sending it back, it means that every single business unit moves quicker. That's essentially what we're yeah. trying to do. I'm sure there's, you know, I've heard of instances where, um, you know, there'll be a merger or, uh, I don't know, there'll be, you know, we have to review all of our employees' contracts and there could be tens of thousands of them. And, uh, that, you know, there'd be a nightmare of, you know, who knows how many hours of review. So I can see that your system could help with that kind of stuff too. So that's the perfect example where an AI can come in and, and offer incredible amount of value. You know, be it our system or one of our, you know, there's the, the legal tech market's booming at the moment. So one of the many legal AIs out there, what we're able to do still is save hundreds of thousands of man hours. And with an AI like that, you're normally only looking for one or two things. So in that use case, as you mentioned, you need to check 10,000 employee contracts, but maybe all you're searching for is a non-compete. However, non-competes can be written in many, many different ways. So just a normal control F isn't going to cut it. You need something that understands the clauses. And that's where an AI and a machine learning system can have a huge impact. Well, what about taking it further? You know, since you've seen so many agreements, let's say I'm reviewing one and, and you know, I, I either don't like the non-compete or there is none. I'm sure, like, you know, I'm sure your program could cough up a library of non-competes and then maybe i could pick from them modify it ever so slightly drop it in there and i'm ready to go how about that you know using the ai back and forth in two different ways instead of just one definitely and as an extension of that what we do at the moment is when you're when you're setting up your logix account you know as i mentioned you build your playbooks you define your legal policies you can say this is what we want a non-compete to look like and now every single time a non-compete comes up in contracts that people send you, you can just push literally one button and replace you know, their language for the non-compete with your language of the non-compete, which is your preference, and send it back. And that's already been approved by your legal team. So you don't need to go back to the legal team and say, hey, we need to change this. They've given you the language and they give you very clear instructions. And the AI tells you this is exactly where to put it. And you're set to go. So is that essentially like a, a contract builder feature? Could you build one from scratch? And um, let's say you want to do a lease, a commercial lease agreement. Um, do you have a contract builder where you'd 
drop and drag clauses into it, and then it could say, hey, you're missing you know, A, B, and C. Don't forget to add that if you want. Any thoughts on providing that as a service? So our thought actually was to move away from that just because it's essentially uh, done, as in there are many contract builders out there that don't require artificial intelligence. They just require a tick box system that says, hey, as long as you've you know, drag and drop contract builders have been in the market for five or six years, they are, uh, I wouldn't say they're commoditized yet because there are still really great ones out there and there's still ones which are you know, finding their feet or, or more niche. But I think it's worth noting that our goal was to tackle a bigger problem. When you're creating your own contract, yes, you can use a system like this. But when somebody sends you a contract, you need somebody that reads it and understands it before they recommend changes. So that's a significantly bigger problem, and that's got a much higher barrier to entry. So our focus on really highlighting incoming third-party contracts on other people's you know, language that you may not have seen before, that was the, the bigger challenge that we wanted to, to tackle. And also, that's the biggest cost for a lawyer. To send out a boilerplate contract is easy, but when you get one in and you need to spend two hours reviewing it, that's when the pain kicks in. It makes a lot of sense. So, you know, you said that your data set was hundreds of thousands of uh, agreements. What are some things that jumped out at you when you analyzed the data? You, know, you said one thing is that only 12 or so or less were malicious, which is great. That's good to hear. What other yeah. things jumped out at you that, or that you're curious about? So there's a lot of interesting things that, that came out when we look at that data set. One thing that I love to talk about is the fact that there seemed to be a handful of what I would call parent contracts. There's clearly, I'm not exactly sure the number, but there's clearly you know, tens of contracts which are the basis of a large majority of our data set. And over the years, people have modified them or people have added to them or shared them or downloaded them and made their adjustments and send it on. Um, and it's almost at the stage where, you know, if we had the time and inclination, we can build you know, a gene genealogy of contracts. And we could kind of say, okay, well, this one was a source contract. And here's the you know, several hundreds of, of child variations that have come from it. But not that. And it's interesting. Yet. You can find the Adam and Eve of, uh, you know, of, of commercial leases. It's funny. And I guarantee you there's one there somewhere. I guarantee you there's, for example, one rental agreement, which the first guy wrote and has been shared and revised and has evolved over time. And perhaps the final versions going out today look nothing like it. But the initial, you know, Microsoft Word save file created back in 1996 may still have the original author's name in there somewhere. It'd be very interesting to kind of run a full, you know, family tree of these contracts one day. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, how do you think this uh, this will affect the courts and how they handle contracts? I wonder if it'll ever become where, you know, if you're doing a uh, you know, a commercial lease, for instance, in the state of whatever, you know, Minnesota, that uh, you're required to use this contract and you can have certain caveats and changes, but it has to have these boilerplate elements, but it can be customized from there. Or I just Isn't wonder, that, how do you expect that this is going to change how law occurs? It's an excellent question. Um, I feel my answer might be long, so I apologize now if I'm for both. Um, first thing I want to say is, the vast majority, and I'm talking 99.99 something percent of contracts, never get to court. They're not litigated against. It's, it's so rare out of all the millions of contracts signed on a monthly basis to see any of them actually get to court. And most times when they do, the judge 
essentially has the right to turn around and say, well, this contract's useless because it's either too much in, in one favor or doesn't mean anything or doesn't meet certain standards. So the amount of contracts that get to court are a fraction of the amount, but at the same time, it's still something which should be taken seriously and lawyers do take it seriously and signing a, a bad contract can hurt you in the future. So even though it doesn't affect, it almost has no effect on courts or legal systems, it is important still to recognize them as their own thing. The second thing, and this is a, a wider answer, goes to the legal definition of the practice of law and whether or not an AI is ever going to have a, a place within the legal system. And I personally am a firm believer that not only is it inevitable that an artificial intelligence or a software package is going to have a standing in legal position, I would argue that we're already in that situation today. And I'll give you an example. If somebody's okay. brought to, to law for tax evasion and you say to the prosecutor, well, how did you, you know, find the fact that they were, I don't know, siphoning off money? And the, the prosecutor says, well, I wrote down all the numbers on a piece of paper. I don't trust Excel. I don't trust calculators. But I used my hands and I used my brain and I wrote down all these numbers and I added it up and there was a missing number. The judge will say, the judge will throw it out of court. How can you not use technology? How can you not use Microsoft Excel when you're adding those figures? How could you not use a calculator, one of the excellent you know, financial softwares out there, to find and evaluate whether or not this person is, is really avoiding taxes. Um, and that same trend is going to be across all borders. It's, it's going to affect healthcare. You're going to have doctors who you know, may be called to malpractice because they didn't use the latest technology to diagnose a patient because they wanted to trust you know, their human gut feeling. Mm. And the fact that legal AI is not currently being used in a court of law I think even if that is the case, and I'm, I would argue that perhaps lawyers today can potentially be sued or can be called for malpractice for not using technology where necessary. And by the way, as an extension to that, most bar requirements insist that the lawyer does use the latest technology. I think it's inevitable to the point that within a very short amount of time, you're going to see lawyers saying, well, for legal reasons, I have to be using an AI to check my contract, or I have to be ethically using technology to make sure that I'm offering the best possible service. If you work with a lawyer today and he says, hey, I don't use email because I don't trust it because I was once sent an email that I never received, so please can you fax me all your paperwork? You'll just say no. And, and there's no way that that level of communication is acceptable, and therefore that level of technolo technological adoption has to apply to all facets of the profession, in, in my opinion. Okay, interesting. Um, in the early part of your answer, you said that you know 99% of contracts don't come before a judge, and a judge may decide to, uh, to say, well, it's not valid anyway. Have you looked for uh, judicial guidance on uh, the contracts that you're seeing? You know, have you? What about the idea of taking them before a series of judges and saying, hey? What do you think uh, we should look for in these contracts or what should or shouldn't be in there so that if it does ever end up in front of you, um, you know, the parties would be able to, you know, uh, work with each other properly and it wouldn't just be thrown out? Yeah, it's an excellent question. Um, I'd like to take it a step further. We don't, as an AI, make the decisions to decide 
what we should be looking for or what we shouldn't. And that's a distinction that we have actively made as a company. We do not give legal advice. We give a AI, which an AI which is able to find what you ask it to find. So you define the playbook. You say to us, as a as a business, you know, the legal team will say to us, here are the 35 things I want to see. Here's the 75 things I don't want to see. And here's you know over 100 things that I simply don't care about. And all the AI will do is follow those instructions to the letter. So at no point are we turning around and saying, this is what should be in the contract or this shouldn't. What we're saying is instead of what should be or shouldn't be, we say whether it is or it isn't. And it's still mm. up to the legal team or the business team to define whether what should be in there or what shouldn't be. But because they're pre-making that decision, they don't have to make it again every single time. A lawyer that reads a contract, essentially right. every single time he sees a dodgy clause or something he's not sure about, he has to make that decision again. And you know what? I would be prepared to bet that if you gave the same lawyer a contract on a Monday morning at 10 o'clock or a Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock, you're going to get different edits back. And therefore, well, by saying... But, but very quickly, by saying that AI doesn't make decisions, that AI follows your decisions, we are not making any legal, we do not have a legal sway in the case. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, when someone's tired, you know, when it's late at night or when they're up against the deadline, they may not do as good a job of reviewing. So this, this saves the drudgery and allows them to focus on the most important parts of the contract. So it's a good service. I like it. Yeah. And it's not even a question of them doing a good job or a bad job. If you're in a good mood or a bad mood, you might decide that something's fine and you're happy living with it, or you may decide that something's unacceptable and, and you have to contend it. Hmm. Um, you talked about uh, AI as part of the legal process. What do you think it's going to look like you know, in the next I don't know, five to 10 years? Do you think that you know, in the courtroom, there may be the judge, maybe the jury, you know, the attorneys, and then an AI voice that says, well, according to you know, case law, this is what's here. Do you think it'll look like that? Or do you think that the AI itself will become, will take the position of a judge or take the position of a counsel? Or will both counsel have their own AI that works with them? <laughs> I actually think it's an excellent question. My, my futurist self is leaning to the final option you provided, that both counsel will have an AI recommending the best argument for them to make in court. Um, it will say, you know, let's say a, a case goes up for, Let's say something very basic. Let's say, you know, an unpaid, a speeding fine that somebody's contesting in, in small claims court. The AI will say, well, you know, the last, you know, 14,000 cases of speeding fines, this is the argument statistically that works best. And the opposing counsel will say, well, of the last, you know, 35,000 successfully prosecuted ones, um, this is the best answer to that. You still have a human in the mix. And, and a good example of, of how this can work would be if you look at, let's say, the autopilot today. Autopilots today essentially can fly a plane. It can take off, it can fly, it can land. But once there's bad weather, a human really has to be in the mix. And it's because the AI and the technology today has very fixed limitations. It's a core premise of any technology today that there are fixed limitations. If you ask it to do something that it can't do, it is simply impossible. There are those things that it can do great. I'll take a perfect example. You're using Microsoft Word. You want to write a novel? Perfect. You want to write a letter? Perfect. You want to draft you know, your next uh, Homer's Odyssey? Perfect. You want to do a basic sum of one plus one? 
work. You can't do it. There's nothing in the world that you can do to make Microsoft Word work out that one plus one equals two. And this is a natural limitation of non-general AI, which is the artificial intelligence models that we're using today. They are superb at the one thing they've been trained to do. But the minute you need to deviate even you know 1% off the task that it's been built for, you're not going to get the accuracy or even the, the ability that you need. So the same way that autopilots can fly a plane, but when, weather heavy, when heavy weather comes in, when there's bad visibility, when there's an anomaly that needs to be dealt with, that's when the human really steps up and it's worth it being there for every single flight for the one in 10 where this happens. Mm. I believe the same thing will happen in the legal system. Most cases will be decided almost automatically based on previous records and case law. By the way, the same way they probably are today. I think most judges, when they see a speeding ticket, will probably have the same decision in the same case. We're just able to automate that. When an anomaly comes in, when a non-standard case comes in, when there's extenuating circumstances for one way or the other, that's when the human intervention is not just um, you know, necessary, but it's critical. That's when the human steps in and says, okay, we need to fly this you know, case differently. We need to use a different attack here. Yes, the AI may be saying something. However, because of circumstances that I can't plug into my AI system, I'm going to be doing something else. It'd be interesting. I wonder if it's going to help to at least create a basis of rights in a particular cir- you know, in, in any particular uh, circumstance. You know, the AI will say, according to the law, A, B, and C is true, or you know, this is the case. And then above and beyond that, like you said, extenuating circumstances or particulars of the case could change that. Yeah, I can see people saying, you know, I don't want a machine deciding because there'll be no leniency. And then I can see other people saying, well, the machine is necessary to protect basic rights in a case. So like a, a corrupt judge couldn't just, you know, throw it all out and uh, do whatever they want. I mean, that kind of happens now anyway, because the law is the law. And the judge, if they really go off the rails, there, there can be appeals and recusals, et cetera. But I think AI may up that and may make it more of a, of a, of a pervasive standard, I guess. I, I would agree with that. I think something which is often forgotten um, is that while technology and AI can democratize the law, there's a belief that um, because it's a robot, it won't have sympathy. And the truth is, all our studies have shown us that sympathy can be programmed. You can define sympathy and you can define cases to be sympathetic and you can train an AI to have sympathy. The same way that you can train an AI essentially to recognize when someone's happy or sad, you can train an AI to recognize when someone's circumstances are one that requires sympathy. And I would go so far as to argue that, and I know this is not a belief held by many, that if a judge is always sympathetic towards a certain person, then an AI that's always sympathetic towards that certain person is no better or no worse. So by saying, well, an, a human can have sympathy and an AI can't, it implies that humans are infallible and machines are fallible. And I would be prepared to bet that in a judicial system, an AI may be possibly more fair and more consistently sympathetic without human bias or without you know, our natural uh, pre-trained cognitive understanding of what people can or can't become or can be. Um, 
I, I don't think necessarily that if today, overnight, we change to a pure technological AI system, it would necessarily mean that things are never going to be fair and no one's ever going to be sympathetic. You can train sympathy into a system. You know, fuzzy logic has been around since the 60s and 70s mathematically. You know, we have variations. We have the ability within a system to say you can deviate 5% or 10% here or there in certain cases, the same way you would to a human. If, if a human decided, well, maybe this person should be guilty, but in this yeah. case, I'll allow them to be innocent, you can define what that in this case is. Oh, interesting. Um, so what's next for Log Geeks? You know, where is your, is your product in production that's being used by firms all over the world? Or you know, where are you at and where are you headed over the next year? So over the next year, we're looking to be used by uh, almost exclusively businesses. Um, not law firms and not individuals, not for the very short term, not for the very near future. This is mainly because businesses understand the pain of, I need to get this contract signed quickly and it's holding things up and why can't I just get it signed already? A lot more than um, an individual does who signs maybe one contract every year or two years or a law firm does where they don't care so much about efficiency, they care about billable hours. So, we're starting with businesses, we're starting with procurement teams, legal teams, sales teams that sign hundreds of contracts a month because they understand the pain best and they're the best test bed for us to bring new solutions to the market and hone the system. I would like to believe over the next five to 10 years, we're going to go much, much, much wider and bring this to individuals, bring this to law firms, bring this to everyone. Our, our goal over the next five to 10 years is to ideally democratize the legal world, automate the legal world. And by doing so, we'll be able to enable a lot of people that don't necessarily have access to legal services, or more importantly, are put in positions where they have to sign things they don't understand, be it rental agreements, be it employment agreements, and allow them also to have a system that says, before you sign it, this is what's included in the contract. All this stuff is fine. All this stuff is standard. You can go ahead and sign it without worrying too much. Or saying, before you sign it, you should know this paragraph here is a little bit iffy. And that's, that's a long way off. We need to make sure that the, the core system works first. And as I mentioned previously, there's no one in the world that, that reviews more contracts faster than, than corporations. So that's where we're going to be running for the next few years and that's where we deliver for now the best value because they're signing so many hundreds of contracts a month or a year that it makes it makes perfect sense for them you know what i wish you would do is have a, a product that helps people with terms and conditions because those no one reads i mean and you're put in a situation where you have no time to read them you know, you're just about to use a service or an app and it throws that up at you and it's 20 pages and you're not going to sit there for 30 minutes and read it or an hour when you need to use the thing right then and there, especially when they change over time. So I'd, I'd love to see a service that helps consumers digest that stuff in a few seconds and spit out the things, you know, the, the things that they need to look for. Yeah. Uh, here's three bullet points to know and then a green thumbs up or a red thumbs down. I think it's, in the, again, I think it's going to happen. My question right now is we need to see a lot of contracts and we need to improve a lot of systems in order to be able to deal with that. So how quickly can we do that? Well, very good. So what's the best way for um, for corporations to get in contact and to, to talk to you and to review your agreement for services? I'm just kidding. 
but you know, to, to get in contact <laughs> and get that, get your help. So the best way to get hold of us is going to www.lawgeeks. That's L-A-W geex.com or emailing us at hello at lawgeeks.com um to be honest we've got a lot of uh good press recently thankfully after our ai versus lawyer study so if you search for legal ai or, or lawyer ai you'll probably find us as well that's great well surely it's been a pleasure it's uh it's really great to speak to you and uh you know your service is very important so i'm glad you came thanks for being on the podcast thank you so much for your time pleasure to meet you You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.